Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? I got my praiser size on today. If you weren't sweating, you weren't, you weren't pressing in enough. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I went over to my, my girls over there. I'm like, is my hair messed up? Because I, I felt the sweat coming. <laughs> God is good. Amen? I love his presence. Don't you love his presence? There is nothing like the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord changes, changes everything. Well, y'all, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Joy. My husband, Pastor Josh, is over at the Waterville campus today. Just give you guys a quick update on what God is doing over there. It's, just, it's, it's really an awesome thing. Thank you for your obedience and your giving um, and sharing your pastors and allowing us to do what God has called us to do. And uh, that's just, that, that's a big heart right there. That's kingdom-minded. And so we're small but mighty. God is growing us. Last week we had 65 people there. And we were super excited about that, more than we had at Easter Sunday, so we were excited. And people, you know, people are, are, are getting saved. People who haven't gone to church are starting to go to church, and uh, it's just super exciting. There's a, uh, a lady who, um, I don't really know too much about her, but I visit her when I go shopping. For those that don't know, it's a hobby of mine. And, um, <laughs> and she, she works at one of the stores that my daughter loves. And so I've just been just being me, just talking to her for over a year, you know, and sharing the love of Jesus. Well, she started coming out there with her family to Waterville. And I went in shopping this week because I had a coupon. So you got to do it right. I had a coupon. So I had to go in there because... That's right, because I had to use my coupon on my princess, who is as much as a diva as I am. Who knew it was possible? I don't know. Um, the apple doesn't far, far from the tree. So we went on in there, and she came running over, and her associate, too, and she was, like, just saying, I love the church. And, you know, and my husband, you know, he really wasn't going to church anywhere before, and we're going to make this our church home. And I was like, yes, that's why we plant churches. That's why we plant churches. You know, 18% is only 18% of Americans that actually go to church. Only 18%. So for people who say, well, why do you need to plant a church? There's, isn't there enough churches? No. Not when there's only 18% of Americans that go to church. So friends, come on. You guys are making a difference in the kingdom of God. Give yourselves a hand clap. God is good. He is good. So Pastor Joshua sends his greetings, and he will be here next week. And, and we... Uh, we kind of, the Lord kind of, we kind of stumbled upon a new sermon series. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, we kind of stumbled upon this one. It was kind of, uh, the Lord dropped it and, and it was almost, almost goofy, if you will. Like, okay, God, you want us to, to talk about this? And so our, but, but we're going to be obedient. So this new sermon series that we're going to go through for this month is called First World Problems. Can you say it with me? First world problems. They're like, what is, you might be saying, well, what is first world problems? Friends, we all got them. There's first world problems. And, and I prayed, I said, God, I want to be sensitive. See, because most churches that have one church, two locations, don't have one church, two locations, two cultures. Ours somewhat does. We have, like I said, our church in the hood and then our church in the wood. And so <laughs> I was seeking the Lord and I felt the Lord said, no matter where you live in America, whether it's in the ghetto of the get, uh, the gutter of the ghetto, or the fields where corn is as high as your house, <laughs> or the deep woods, country, or the suburbs, everybody has 
first world problems when you live in a first world country. And so me being the uh, person that I am, I also said, but Lord, I want to be sensitive to people's needs during this time. See, I'm always one who will be bold when God tells me to be bold. But then I'm like, oh, Lord, I, didn't, I hope I didn't hurt their feelings afterwards. That's how I roll. It's my personality, okay? So I said, Lord, I want to be sensitive because people have real problems in America. When, when you get a diagnosis that you have cervical cancer, it's a real problem. When your husband of 20 years decides he wants a younger model and leaves you, it's a real problem. When your child um, who you raised up in the church decides that they turn 18 and they want nothing more with God, that's a real problem. We have real problems. And we're going to get into those, but we're going to also get into first world problems. For those of you who may not know what first world problems really is, let me explain it to you. It's a relatively trivial or minor problem or frustration implying a, con- a, constraint, a contrast with serious problems such as those that may be experienced in, de- in the developing world. Now I'm going to break it down in picture. If you can go ahead and show that first picture. This is a first world problem. I said extra foam on my pumpkin spice latte. Someone say first world problems. Don't act like you ain't never had an attitude when they got your drink wrong. I know I have. Lord, forgive me. Someone again say first world problems. Next one, please. I asked Santa for a, three, or a 32GB black iPhone, and I got a 16GB white model instead. <laughs> Someone say first world problems. My husband had to take a program off of his phone because his phone wasn't working and he was getting frustrated. Yeah, I'm putting him under the bus. He ain't here. Someone say first world problems. <laughs> Look at that. Our battery. It's so low. Oh, I just charged it. Someone say first world problems. Well, I just can't dip that cookie in my milk. The cup is too small and my cookie is too big. Someone say, first world problems. <laughs> the cup is too small and my cookie is too big. First world problems. <laughs> well, see, Earl wouldn't know that. Look at this cup. When you drink this much coffee when you come to church, someone say, first world problems. Don't y'all love your pastor, Pastor Earl? Oh, he's so fun. Look at this. They knew I didn't want pickles, and they gave me pickles anyway. Someone say, first world problems. First world problems. This is my favorite. This is me sometimes. I ain't going to lie. Look at that closet. I wish my closet looked that pretty. It's never that organized. I got too much clothes. It's even more cramped. And I say, still, I don't have anything to wear, baby. Sometimes because I ain't done laundry in a month because I have so much clothes. Don't judge. First world problems. Hope up. Look at that pantry. Nothing to eat. That's my kids. They eat all the junk food and they go look and they say, Mom, go to the store. We don't got nothing to eat. Well, did you just pass that basket that had apples and bananas in it? There's nothing to eat. The hot Cheetos are gone. Someone say, first 
world problems. What about this? What am I going to play? We got a whole bunch. Our back room's covered with DVDs and music. I have nothing to play. Say it with me. First world problems. This is the thing as Americans, friends, we do not realize how entitled we are. We don't realize that when we say we're starving, that there's many, many people who really are starving. That there's still children that die today in 2017 of starvation. We've got some first world problems, and I believe the Lord wants to deliver us so that we would have eyes to see what his spirit is doing. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that says, For our light and momentary troubles. I believe that that could almost be translated in the American version for our first world problems. (laughs) Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, this scripture in its context is written by Paul. Paul, one of the greatest apostles who ever lived. He said, for our light and momentary trials, and guess what his light, talk about perspective. This whole sermon series is on perspective. His light and momentary trials were being beaten, stones thrown at him, starved, shipwrecked, and persecuted for his faith. And he said, let me say that again. Some of y'all didn't catch that. Y'all still looking up at that, thinking about that pictures we were showing. Hold on. His problems that he said were light and and momentary were being beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, and persecuted for his faith. He said, I know what it feels like to have plenty, and I know what it feels like to be in need. And yet he said, those problems, those troubles are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How many of us need a perspective shift in the house today? God gave us a perspective shift. See, lots of times our main problem isn't our main problem. Our biggest problem is our perspective on the problem. Mm -hmm. Say again, we need a perspective shift. I've told you guys this before, but for those who are new, we're going to tell a story again. And for those who've heard it, laugh anyway, because it is funny. Years ago, a couple years ago, um, Justice was a baby, and I went through a lot of different health things. And um, I just got my gallbladder taken out, and it felt like I was having a gallbladder attack, but I didn't have a gallbladder anymore except for it was on my side. And I said, I, I, I said, something is going on. I don't know what it is, but it feels like I'm having a gallbladder attack, and I don't have a gallbladder. It's on my side. Well, I had kidney stones. And now at that time, we had four kids under eight, and so it was, it, I called my daddy up. I said, husband, you stay with the kids. I called my dad up. My dad came and picked me up, and he took me to St. Luke's, and I'm in pain, in excruciating pain. And he looks at me, and he says, Joy, this too shall pass. <laughs> I wanted to slap him, but it was, it was funny because, you know, you had to pass the kidney stone. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this too shall pass. Our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then the scripture goes on and says, so fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus, friends. That's how we get rid of our first world problems. We're going to have irritations. We're going to have frustrations. And you know what? In the first world, we're still going to have some real problems. But if Paul can be shipwrecked, stoned, 
starving and say these light and momentary trials. Friends, we've got to have a perspective shift. James says this in chapter 1, verse 3. For, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Friends, some of you in this place, we just need to grow just a little bit. It's time to mature. One of my kids were going through a really hard time and struggling in, in school, and, and this, this child tries really hard. This child's a forward thinker, and, and um, they were struggling. And, you know, as a parent, when you see your child struggle, no matter what it is, of course it hurts. And so um, I was encouraging my, my child, and I, and I was saying, you know, you're going to get through this. And, and uh, I, I said this scripture, you know, God, because they were upset. They, they failed this test by just a few points, and they really prayed beforehand. And they looked at me and said, prayer does not work. I said, no, son, prayer works. God just doesn't always say yes. And sometimes there's, there's a testing of our faith. He said, another test, mom, another test. <laughs> Isn't that how it feels like sometimes? You're like, but God, another test. Are you kidding me? Another test. <laughs> but guess what? It's how we grow. Isn't it true? It's how we grow. So the testing, so you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Because God doesn't want us just to start the race real good, right? He wants us to endure to the end. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Our endurance needs to grow. And so today we're going to talk about growing. I love this quote by John Maxwell. You guys know he's one of my favorites. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Change is going to happen. But whether you choose to grow or not, it's up to you. I choose to grow. Do you choose to grow? Let's grow. So we're going to talk about, we, we gave an example of some silly first world problems. But now we're going to talk about four real first world problems. And as you came in this morning, you received a bulletin. Inside the bulletin is what I call a talk it over sheet. And you can go ahead and take some notes on that and fill in those blanks. We're going to get to them. We're going to talk about four real first world problems. Say four real first world problems. Okay. The very first thing that we, we need to grow. And so we need to get rid of this. We need to stop, say stop whining about everything. Oh, someone clap your hands. Glory. Come on. We need to stop whining about everything. Mm. I'm preaching to myself, y'all. Wait till I tell you what I did this Friday. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> stop whining about everything. The Urban Dictionary, I love it. And sometimes might not have always the best words in it, but it puts it out flat. I said, first world problems is this. When you already have a substantial amount of what you need, yet you complain about the quality and the type you want. That's a good definition. Mm-hmm. Come on. Say it again. Stop whining about everything. So here's my, my true life story. Confession time from Pastor Joy. Y'all ready? So get, get ready. Put your seatbelt on. If anyone has me on a pedestal, we about to knock it on down right now. 
Stop whining about everything. I said, I was whining about this sermon. I knew what God wanted me to talk about. And then Friday, I'm like, for real, God. So Friday, I wake up. I'm peppy. I spend an hour and a half with the Lord in the morning. I like to spend from 8 to 9.30 with the Lord almost every morning. Well, school days anyway. Uh, you know, the kids wake me up on Saturdays. I don't know. I just have to say Jesus hello on Saturdays. But on the rest of the week, I'm good, right? And so... <laughs> So I'm spent, I mean, I feel good. I'm, my presence with the Lord is it's great, right? And then we got Shua got to sleep in because he felt great about that because he had a dentist appointment, which I had called because he said, Mom, I'm looking at I think I got a kid. Whose kids does, you know, every kid does that, right? They pull out them like, you know what a cat, like you're supposed to look in their mouth and see if they have a cavity. So I made him a dentist appointment. And so we drive to the east side where our dentist appointment is and we had plans. We said, okay, son, we're going to go to Starbucks afterwards because it's right across the street. He's like, oh, down. I said, but wear your uniform because you're going to school as soon as we are done with this. He's like, okay, that's good. We're going to get Starbucks. Oh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. We're happy. We go. We pull up to the dentist's office. We get inside. And I go in. And I have my card ready. And I said, hey, you know, this is our appointment. And the lady says, hmm. I said, huh? She said, hmm. You're scheduled for the mommy office. I said, the mommy office? I said, we have been going here for years, and I have never went to the mommy office before. We're in Oregon. We're close. We, we, we come across the bridge for this office every single time since the kids were little. That must have been a mistake. I clearly said when I called and made an appointment, the Oregon office. Now, at this point, guys, I'm starting to get mad. I'm, like, trying to remind myself, woman, you are a woman of God. Calm yourself down. But the feistiness in me was not hearing it. She said, well, sit down for just a moment. If, and, you know, if someone cancels their appointment, you can come in. Uh, you, you could come in. I'm like, I got this boy out of school. He's on a scholarship. If he misses too much school, he can lose that scholarship. At this point, I'm a little bit fuming. I'm embarrassing my son, Shua. And so I decided to sit down and wait. And don't you know, everybody and their mom is coming. And I'm thinking, there's not going to be a canceled appointment. There's just like 10 people that just, it was empty. And now 10 people just walked in the door. So I go back up. I say, well, is there any way you guys can get him in? I did already bring him out. You know, I kept him out of school. He's already missed some school. And she said, well, you know, there's no cancel appointment. Now, maybe you can make it to the mommy office. I said, I don't even know where the mommy office even is. I said, and he, and I was planning on putting him back to school. And I even caught myself catching an attitude and whining. And so I said, well, you know, normally I'm not one who gets really upset about, you know, with customers. I'm just, you know what? Let's just make another appointment. He's not going to be mad. And I try to, I try to chair my, I'm a verbal processor, so I'm processing out loud to this lady. I said, you know what? It's not like he's going to be upset. He's going to miss two days, two partial days of school. And we're just going to go get Starbucks. It'd be okay. And I, I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to be kind and cordial to this lady because I'm catching myself with an attitude. She's like, okay, well, we'll get you in Monday and all this great stuff. I'm like, okay, great. So I'm like, come on, Shua. I'm like, man, Shua, I'm steaming. I'm steaming. Let's go get some, let's go get some Starbucks. That's going to make me happy. Let's go get some Starbucks. He's like, okay, mom, come on. Let's, and let's, pouring down rain okay because it's it's and so and I'm in like a workout outfit I'm just like I'm like I have a I have an appointment at the gym am I even going to get there on time with my train I'm already I'm like my time is precious my time and I'm saying my I'm telling sure my time means more to me than my money I don't I don't like to waste time I like to be purposeful and you know blah 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 and so we're running in Starbucks and at this point I'm like oh they got the new frappes oh you know what I deserve a s'mores frappe after that so Man, yeah, s'mores frappe. You don't even want to know how much calories that is. So I'm like, all right, in my exercise clothes, looking all kinds of like a hypocrite, ordering a s'mores frappe. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, give me a s'more and make it with heavy whipping cream. 
<laughs> and I got a cake pop. And so did Shua. He followed his mother's example, got the same thing, right? They're getting it ready. I put my card in. I even got the Starbucks card. I put my card in to put more money. They said, the card's not working. I said, oh. I asked my husband before I left if I can spend money on Starbucks, and he told me yes, and I know he looks at our money, so therefore there has to be money in there. I said, let me try it again. Decline. The car's not working. I'm like, for, I try, let me try it one more time. Decline. I said, you know what? I don't know what's going on, but I know I got money in the bank, so I know there's a, uh, there's a, a debit machine around here, so let me go to the machine. I'm going to go get $20 out. I'm going to come back and just hold my, I'm getting these drinks. They're like, okay. So I go to the debit machine. Oddly enough, the fifth third machine was in the key bank parking lot, but I'm like, whatever. So I pull in because I'm fifth third and I'm putting my card in. It's like uh, something, your card's not working. I can't remember the, the big words it was using for that. I'm like, what? I called Josh. I'm like, I'm steaming at this point. I'm on the east side. I don't know where I'm at over here. And I'm like, I know, th I know three things. Our sister church, the rock, my mother-in-law's house, and that and the dentist appoint four things in the Y. And I'm like, what? I was like, what is going on? Is there money in our, our bank? My car's not working, and I need some Starbucks. This has been the worst morning ever. He's like, babe, there's money in the bank. I don't know. I was like, you know what? Uh, I was like, okay, forget it. I said, Shua, we're just going to have to go home with not, without Starbucks. He's like, okay, mom, you know, whatever. I was like, no, I'm not leaving the east side without my Starbucks. He said, okay, mom. I was like, there's a fifth third bank down the street over here. I remember that. It's over by Walmart. I said, I'm going to drive down there. I'm going to go to the bank and figure out what's going on. So nobody's in the bank. I come into the bank. I got my car. I said, sure, you want to come in with me? He said, no, mom, I've had enough drama. I'll just stay out here and wait. <laughs> Gotta love teenage sons, right? So I go into the bank. I'm calm now because I'm like, I'm going to get my Starbucks. I'm going to get myself in a good mood. I'm going to be okay. God is still sitting on the throne, even though I'm having a terrible day, and it's raining, pouring every time I'm getting in and out the car. So I get up there to the teller, and I say, something's going on with my card. I know I got money in the bank. And she's like, well, yes. You know, I guess Fifth Third got hacked, and some cards are being messed up and, and stuff. I'm like, well, can you fix it? And she's like, um, I'm trying to, oh, this isn't working. And this, you know what? You're going to have to wait till 1130. It's 11. Because our manager is on the phone with a conference call. I said, can you just get me $20 out the bank so I can go get my Starbucks? She said, sure. Fill out this withdrawal. So I took the $20. I went and got my Starbucks and got Joshua's Starbucks, dropped him off at school. And I thought, man, what a terrible example I just set for my child. Stop whining about everything. I said, God, for real? You're going to give me all these first world problems when you know I got to go do this series and I'm just, I'm a, I'm a mess right now with my first world problems. Come on, stop whining about everything. Told you you were going to have me on the pedestal. Not today. <laughs> so Numbers 11, I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a, there's, it's, it's, it's packed. So Numbers 11, but I do want to read a, a, some of it here. This is the children of Israel, and they're complaining, okay? They were delivered from Egypt, delivered from slavery, and now... They're in the desert, and God is feeding them. I mean, he brought manna from heaven. Then he brought quail. He brought these fish. I mean, it was, it's got to take, I mean, I love bread. But can you imagine bread cooked directly by God and then dropped off in your front yard? You know it had to taste good. So, but they're, they're tired of it. They, they're missing their onions and their melons from Egypt. <laughs> Sometimes how we want to go back in the world, oh, it was so much easier when I could just tell someone about themselves. When I was in the world, how many of you guys say things like, like this? Uh, 
you better be lucky I'm saved. If I wasn't saved, if I wasn't saved, I would tell you. So come on, we're going to want to just reminiscing of the good old days when we were in bondage. Come on, somebody, somebody. So here's what, what's, what's said. Now the people complained about their troubles in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger burned. The fire of the Lord burned among them and destroyed some of them in the outer parts of the tents. Then the people cried to Moses and he prayed to the Lord and there and the fire went out. So the name of that place was Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Hmm. I tell my kids, listen, God doesn't like whining and neither do I. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> someone in my someone need to tell me that this Friday though. So then we, we, we read on and they're, they're saying, you know, that they're sick of the food that they have and they're missing the food from Egypt, the food in their bondage. And uh, Moses is getting tired of it. Moses is getting tired of the crying and the whining. And Moses heard, it says in verse 10, he heard the people crying in every family, each man at the door of his tent. The Lord became angry with them and Moses was not pleased either. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your eyes that you have laid the troubles of all these people on me? It kind of reminds me of parenting. Like, you know, when my kids act crazy, I'm like, go tell your dad. Sometimes they act crazy to him and he gets tired of it. He's like, go tell your mom. It's kind of what Moses and God, God were doing. Like, get your kids. No, you get your kids. Come on. So verse 12 says, Moses says this, did I give birth to all these people? <laughs> did I bring them out that you should say to me carry them close to your heart as a nurse carries a nursing baby to the land you promised their fathers where am I where am I to get meat to give all these people they they cry in front of me saying give us meat so we can eat I can see it with signs give us meat so we can eat. I mean, I could just see them out there. Okay, probably not. But you know what I'm saying? That's how my imagination is going. I'm like, these people were our mess. And Moses was ticked. He was like, I'm tired of them. Did I nurse? Do I nurse them? Was I pregnant with them? Get your people, God. Get your people. Verse 14, or, or no, verse 15, he says, so if you are going to act this way toward me, I beg you to kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> and if I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me see how bad off I am. After reading that, I felt a little bit better about my Starbucks day. I ain't going to lie. I felt just a little bit better. Moses was so irritated with the people. He's like, kill me now, God. Right? Whining is annoying. That's not in my notes, but it should be underlined. Whining is annoying. God literally destroyed whiners. When you whine over God's provisions, you're ungrateful. Whining will burn leaders out. It burns parents out. It burns leaders out. This is how you solve that first word world problem called whining. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Are you whining or are you shining? Are you whining or are you shining? First world problem, stop whining about everything, amen? We all need to do it. Number two, first world problems, stop wishing you had what someone else had. Stop wishing you had what someone else has. 
The American dream keeps us bound, friends. Keeping up with the Joneses is called envy and jealousy, and it's not of God. We are prone to compare ourselves because we have constant access to people that we compare ourselves with and social media now. And James says this in verse 316, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Listen to this. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight wheel. That's Stephen Furrick. Right? We compare our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight. You see this picture? Y'all know this was last year because we ain't had too many sunny days here recently. This was last year about this time. My family and I decided we were going to go on a picnic. Don't we look like the cute American family just got all of ourselves together? And so I had that little cute little tablecloth and a basket. I mean, we were going on a picnic. Don't let that picture fool you. It was a terrible day. On the way there, Josh and I were fighting over a parking spot. <laughs> then we get there, we're getting the kids out, and there's no porta potty at this park. And one of my kids had to go really bad, so he had to go behind the tree. And at this point, I'm really frantic because one time we got locked out of our own church, and our kid, this was a long time ago, our kid just had to go so bad, and the keys were, we were locked out of the own church. We couldn't get back in. So he went outside by the car, and here comes the police. I'm like, with all the crime in this neighborhood, you're messing with us because my kid is peeing by a wheel? Are you kidding me? Right? So I have, like, I have a little bit of a paranoia about my boys peeing outside. And I'm also, at this point, I'm frustrated. We couldn't find, you know, we didn't get the right parking spot. My kid's over there peeing. Then one kid on their bike went down a hill like, you know, trying to have fun and said, boom, 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 and rolled down the hill on their bike. And I'm like, Lord. But we sat down. I'm like, come on, y'all, take a good picture. Cheese. <laughs> but we compare our struggle with our insecurity, what we see on the highlight reel of someone's Facebook page or social media. Oh, look at them. Their marriage is so great. They went on a date. I don't know how great. Maybe they went on a date because they've been fighting all week. You don't know. Oh, look at that family. They're having a picnic. I wish I was having a picnic. Y'all did not want no picnic the way we had that picnic that day. <laughs> right? But we compare our behind-the-scene mess with everybody else's highlight wheel, and we got to stop because envy is not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. Social media has given us a window to compare ourselves to everyone we know, and many we don't know, like never before. Someone has a cuter outfit than us, a bigger house, a nicer car, a better job, a better looking spouse, a more exciting life. And, and their kids are just, they're geniuses and they're involved and they're doing flips like at the Olympics at two and they can read at three and, and they're just awesome. And you just wish it was as easy for you as it is for them, right? But this is the thing. We don't know what's really going on in their life. And every time we log into Facebook and we see someone's filet mignon and we're eating tube steak, man, you don't know. You don't know. We've got to stop. We've got to stop. We've got to stop comparing ourselves with everybody and instead compare ourselves to where we were and where we are. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I might have a, a couple days out the month where I whine, but I'm not whining every day like I used to. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm, I might fall into insecurity here and there, but not like every day like it used to be. Come on, somebody. 
That's who we need to compare ourselves. This is the thing. One of the enemy's most effective strategies to get you to focus on what you don't have, what you used to have, or what someone else has that you wish you had. He does this to keep you from looking around and looking up and asking God, what can you do through what I have? What can you do through what I have, what you have given me? Have I been a faithful steward to what you have given me? It's time to kill the green eye monster, friends. It's time to kill him. It's time to kill that green eye monster, amen? So we need to stop whining, and we need to stop wishing we had what everybody else has, and then we need to get rid of these first world problems. We need to stop worrying about silly things. I'm talking silly things. See, there's a fine line between being concerned and being worried. There's a fine line between being concerned between real problems, a wayward child, a sick husband or wife, a diagnosis that we wish we did. There's a difference between being concerned and being worried over silly things. Like, there's, re- there's real problems in the world that should concern us, like human trafficking, like the amount of abortion used for, for basically... <laughs> Like starvation in the world, like unclean water in the world and in America and Michigan. Come on, friends. There's some real problems that we need to be concerned about, but then there's some real problems in our family that we need to be concerned about, like sickness, like, like when our marriage is on the verge of divorce, like when, when our children are going off and the, the devil's just having a heyday with them. But then there's silly things that seem to consume more of our time than for us to be concerned about real stuff. You know, the silly things, the trivia things that we worry about. Like when we worry about things like when my washer broke down. Right? Or when the dryer broke down. Or God forbid the dishwasher not work. Come on. Sometimes we get so caught up on the silly things that we're not even praying for the real things. Our prayers are over the silly things. And, and we're worried about the silly things. And, and this is what God says in his word. This is Jesus' red letters here, friends. He has a lot to say about worrying. He says this in his famous, most famous sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what to eat or drink, or about your body, what to wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin yet. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows what you need. But seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, some of us need to increase our faith in this place today. We're worried 
And, and, and Jesus puts, and this is not even silly. We're worried about things like dishwashers bro- broken. And Jesus is saying, I don't even want you to worry about what to eat or drink or wear. He says, you of little faith. So when you're worrying, you're trying to take things into your own hands and make a solution. When God says, I need you to have faith. Stop having little faith. Have faith. And if you don't have faith, you know what you need to do? You need to pray. You need to pray. Prayer is the key to overcome worry. Philippians 4, 16 says it very clearly. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. That's a key, friend. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's already done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Friends, we're going to go through things because the rain falls on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on the just and the unjust and we're going to go through things because life gets messy but we can go through it with Christ and when you have a peace that passes all understanding when other people look at you and think man you should be worried about that maybe something real I remember when my mom was diagnosed with with um cancer of, uh, a few years ago and I was in the room with her it was just me and her my dad had to work and when they came in and said that whew, I mean when you hear those words, it's just like, it's like in your gut, you feel it in your gut of your gut. You know what I mean? And yet there was a faith that we're going to get through this. We're going to pray. We're going to thank God we did. And I know some people have, have been lost to cancer, but friends, we've got to have faith and trust that God is God and that he is all knowing. And there's no point of worrying because he is the one who is, who was, and is to come. So you're worrying about your today, but God has already been in your today. Now he's in your tomorrow and speaking back to your today that you don't got to worry. I got this. And so friends, we need to give it to him. And the way to do that is in prayer. Go to prayer. When you feel that worry come on you, go to prayer and intercede and seek his face. 1 Peter 5, 7 says it like this. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Friends, when you're tempted to worry about things and take time, take it as an invitation to pray. Pray until something happens. That's what push means. Push through. Pray until something happens. And so, friends, we need to stop worrying. Stop wishing we had what others do. Stop whining. And finally, get rid of these first world problems. We need to stop being wrapped up all in ourselves. We need to stop being wrapped up in oneself. Being wrapped up in yourself means you're selfish. Selfishness is wrong, right? We have a lot of people that are flat out narcissistic today. Matter of fact, our society and our culture almost praises narcissism. We put them on reality shows. We make them, never mind. (laughs) Help us, Lord. Right? Narcissism is a big problem in our culture. Narcissistic people think that everything revolves around them. They're selfish to the core. Our culture teaches us to be narcissistic. We want to do what makes us feel good, what makes us 
look good. It's even crept into the church, friends. Oh, well, I'm church shopping. What's church shopping? <laughs> My favorite Christian comedian has a, uh, and it's just funny, I can't help but laugh at it. He has this skit that's called Church, uh, church Hunters. It's kind of a spinoff of House Hunters. And he's making fun of it, but it's true. People act like they search for, listen, when I was 19 years old and I was at the age where I could finally go to a church of my own, I was grown at, the, well, thought I was grown at 19, right? And was in college and was looking for a church. I fasted and prayed for 30 days and God directed me to the church I was going to go to. God already knows where you're supposed to be. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes he says, go plan another church service, another church in Waterville. And we're like, but we're doing good just right here. And God, I thought you said North Toledo. No, no, no. Why don't you turn over here and come over to Waterville? If you seek God, friends, he's going to break narcissism off you. He's going to break selfishness off you. And he's going to tell you what you need to do and where you need to be and what you need to do. Narcissism plagues our culture. The way to defeat it is by serving and serving others. That is the way to beat selfishness every single time. Now, Josh and I, when we first got married, y'all wouldn't be able to be, even hardly believe that now if you're around us. Usually, we might have a fight here and there, but for the most part, we get along really, really well. But in the beginning days, both oldest children, both alphas, both strong-willed, fought over everything. I mean everything. What channel to listen to music on? He wanted Christian rap. I wanted Christian worship. I mean, how hot it's a, it should be in the house. I wanted it 68. He wanted it 72 or whatever. I can't even remember. Stupid things. Windows up, windows down. I wanted the windows down, up with air conditioning on because my hair was going to mess up. He wanted the windows down and the sun was open because he was cool and had swag like that. I mean, we fought over everything. Everything. And I remember I was afraid to get pregnant because I thought, man, I don't want to bring no baby up into this mess. And so it was about that time, a couple years into our marriage, and I knew that it was time for us to, to get pregnant. I was scared. I'm like, God, I do not want, I grew up in a, in a home with a lot of strife. I do not want my kids to, and we fight up. God, you see this man you gave me. <laughs> and God brought me to a scripture in, in, in James 4 that says, you, you fight and you covet because you, you do not get what you want. And that's why. And I said, God, I'm going to fight not to fight. And I was determined. I wanted him to change. I wanted God to slap Josh just like he just slapped me. I'm like, get him, get him, God. I used to pray those, but tell your son, Lord, he ain't listening to me. He would run away from me when we first got married, right, to go pray. And I would be like, I don't know what you're going to go pray for because the Bible says in Peter that God can't hear your prayers when you ain't right with your wife. That man had to put up with a mess, right? And God said, no, I'm going to get you. I'm going to deal with you about you. And he showed me that I was a pampered little princess. <laughs> <laughs> that wanted to be served. And so I decided I'm going to fight not to fight, and I'm going to make myself serve. It's unnatural for me. 
It is not my personality. I'm a leader. I'm a type D personality. I try to trick y'all to think that I'm more dynamic than I really am. I just want the job done. I'm, I'm driven, not dynamic, but you think I'm dynamic, but I'm really just driven. Okay. I think I tricked my husband too. <laughs> we got into the marriage. He said, honey, you're a lot more complicated than I thought. <laughs> I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> I had to get to the point that I said, I'm going to fight not to fight. And I'm going to serve. And so I make myself serve. I can't tell you how many times I make food, I put it on the plate, and I deliver it to wherever he's at. It's not natural. But I do it. And it brings me great joy. Because when God makes us move in a way that's not natural, you know what it is? Supernatural. And it brings me great joy to serve my husband. It brings me great joy. Friends, I want to encourage you today. The way to get rid of narcissism, the way to get rid of selfishness is to put others before yourself. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Or another translation says, have the same attitude of that is Christ Jesus. Matthew 20, 28 is going to be my closing verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Would you stand up to your feet with me, friends? Is God good? Amen. We got some first world problems. It's not the extra phone we want on our latte. It's, we're entitled, and we need to stop whining. We need to stop worrying. We need to stop wishing we had what everybody else has. We need to stop comparing ourselves. We need to stop being wrapped up in ourselves and being selfish. We need to lay it down. How many of you are with me today, and you want to say, you know what this sermon is about, friends? Dying to your flesh. Right? How many of you guys want to die a little bit more to your flesh? Come on, with your hands lifted up high. With your hands lifted up high, I'm going to speak a prayer. God already did a work, and I will be more than glad to pray for you if you want me to lay hands on you. But I believe God already did a work, but I want to speak a blessing over you. Sometimes there's deliverance that took place, like I believe took place at the altars earlier. And then there's that long dying to yourself process. It's what starts the sanctification, and God wants to do that in you as well. So God, I pray over every hand lifted in this house today. God, I pray that they would fight not to fight. God, I pray that they, instead of fighting flesh and blood, Lord God, that they would fight their flesh, their flesh. That they would say, I no longer want to live, but I want Christ Jesus to live in me. I want to die to my flesh. I want to die to myself so that you can really truly live in me and so that you can be glorified. I want to be obedient to when your spirit tells me to do something, even when it's serving, I don't feel like it. I want to be obedient to what your spirit is calling me to do, even when it's allowing someone to go before myself. God, would you help me die to my flesh that you would be alive in me, that you would be real in me, that when people see me, when I want to whine, when I want to complain, God, that I would keep my mouth shut. That my tongue would literally stick to the roof of my mouth like the 
prophets of old, Lord Jesus, that I would only speak what you are telling me to speak. God, when I want to have a bad attitude, well, my face needs deliverance, Lord. God, I pray that you would bring the calm of Christ. Come on, somebody, that's for you. The calm of Christ over my face. The calm of Christ over my attitude. The calm of Christ in my household. God, I pray right now for that person in their house that is fighting nonstop with their husband. God, enough is enough. Let them die to their flesh. For that husband who is complaining and whining about his unsubmissive wife, God, let him serve. Let him lay down his life. God, I pray that you would begin a sanctification process in every single one of your people, Lord, that they would walk in the fullness of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. If you need prayer 